Do you want me to use the microphone? Or? No? No. Okay. Um, I'm going to be reading from John 4, John chapter 4, verses 1 to 30. Um, so if you have your Bibles, then please have a look. We're reading from the ESV, which is the English Standard Version. Okay, it's verse 1. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptising more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptise but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sitcha, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you, had, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one, who, the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know, we worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming, and is now here, when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Great. I thought it's a long piece of uh, scripture. Better to hear someone else uh, give it. And uh, thank you, Becky, for that. Uh, I just want to pray and then we'll begin.
Uh, Lord God, I, I just pray this morning, would you uh, meet us where we're at? Lord, we, we pray uh, that we would learn from you this morning. Your Holy Spirit would instruct our hearts so we would see uh, your glory. Lord, I pray, would you change us in doing so? In Jesus' name, amen. Wonderful. Uh, so this passage um, is is really kind of famous and um, is, is well known as being uh, some of the key teaching on worship. In fact, um, some people say it's the most like important um, verses in here about worship, what worship is, how to understand it, uh, that Jesus, it's, it's his clearest teaching on the subject. Um, we're not going to get into it as deep as we could, um, but we're certainly going to have a look because worship's actually a, a huge word and a huge concept. It's very easy for us to think, because the way we use that word, that it just means the singing part of a Sunday service. But it absolutely doesn't. Um, we would Maybe it would be helpful if we called that song worship, but we're not going to start changing the way we use words, I don't think, anytime soon. So it's helpful for us to, to kind of add some depth to that word. Worship isn't about singing songs. It's about having an attitude of what something's worth is. So it's about kind of declaring or understanding the worth of something that's kind of where it gets the in english where that word comes from um i don't know whether that's the same in swedish i didn't think to find out um <laughs> typical emails like <laughs> um so so when you think of worship like that that it's this um this broader concept it's about kind of giving something its worth we realize that it actually touches many more areas of our life and in fact this passage of scripture and what we're going to discover is and what Jesus is really dealing with here is that uh, this lady this this woman this person has got an issue with worship and and crucially so does everyone Uh, and there's there's this uh, truth that's going to come into this passage is that actually everybody worships everyone not just the Christians, not just the religious people, not just the people that turn up to a, a, a holy place. And that's, that's kind of like an expression of worship, but everyone worships. Uh, the secular, uh, atheistic nation of Sweden, everybody worships. See, I always remember this song that came out, and I, it really annoyed me because it's one of these catchy songs um, that sounds so great. It's a good one. Uh, I love to sing it, so, um, but I couldn't. I couldn't bring myself to do it. I don't know if you, you know the song um, Take Me to Church by Hosier. It's so catchy, but it's awful lyrics. It's really bad. Um, I, and I, and I, I read the lyrics and I was thinking, I just want to give a, I was like, maybe I thought I'd read a verse and I couldn't, I was like, I couldn't say that on a church on Sunday. So the first line of the chorus says, take me to church, I'll worship like a dog at the shrine of your lies. Already you're like, um, but the metaphor, the whole metaphor of that song is that this guy is madly devoted to this lady who he loves. And he kind of outworks this and uses the metaphor, the, the word worship, to explain uh, his feelings uh, for this person, this romantic love. And actually, that gets to the core of what worship is. It's, it's devotion, it's time spent, it's effort put into um, something that's God or it could be in the case of this song uh, uh, this this woman this romantic relationship there's a quote by a guy called David Foster Wallace he was an American author and um, he kind of won some prizes I think he was shortlisted for the Pulitzer Prize 
So he's like a legitimate author. Um, and he wrote this. Uh, he's not a Christian um, himself, but I think uh, really touched on a truth here. He said this, everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason for choosing some sort of God to worship is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, then they're going to trap that. And if that's where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough. Never feel you have enough. Worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure and you'll always feel ugly. When time and age start showing, you'll die a million deaths. Worship power and you'll end up feeling weak and afraid. And you'll need ever more power over others to numb your own fear. Worship your intellect and being seen as smart and you'll end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. It's kind of harsh words. Apologise. We're going in deep and low. (laughs) Hopefully we can. Uh, No, it's... When I read that and I thought, wow, okay, that's... Worship is broader. It's much broader than, than maybe how we think. And, and when we put it in that context, it's got massive implications. For this guy, um, and even in that song, you listen to those words and you just think automatically, oh, this guy's got his priorities all wrong. This is going to bite him in the end. If, um, and, and really, the point of this story, or one of the points, one of the key ideas here in this story is that this woman's got an issue with worship. Uh, so we'll see uh, how Jesus chooses an, a very unusual and expect, unexpected person to become a true worshipper. We'll kind of look at what that might mean uh, and how he kind of solves her worship problem. It's super encouraging for me during our time of sung worship um, <laughs> the, to hear a lot of what was on my heart, it's been on my heart for a few weeks to bring is kind of what was prayed out. It's the songs that email picked. We didn't we didn't confer in advance um, about song choice, and and so for me, sitting there at the back, standing at the back, and hearing um, words coming out like it doesn't matter where you come from or your background, but we can all come to Jesus. Hearing words like um, I actually I wrote them down because um, I, it was so encouraging to me. God has chosen us and you purely by His grace. He comes into our lives because he loves us. Um, even this, uh, there was someone said, I think uh, Emma said, we might think, oh, God can't use me because I've done this, this, and this. But God can use the foolish things. See, it's really important to see who Jesus is talking to here. Um, a couple of weeks ago, Emil spoke about uh, Nicodemus. He was the uh, the Jewish uh Pharisee, he was the zealot, super well-educated, high-up, elite social status. Um, And yet he needed an encounter with Jesus. He needed an encounter uh, with the living God. And yet the next encounter that John, in his gospel, puts right next to it, and it's no coincidence, it's absolutely by design, that you have Nicodemus and then you have this woman. Because she had all the hallmarks of being right down at the bottom, the lowest of the low. She's a Samaritan. Uh, what are Samaritans? Well, um, 
it's really, I, I looked into, it's really complicated, but the main gist is um, there was a time, like hundreds of years before Jesus is meeting this woman at the well, hundreds of years before, the Assyrian Empire conquers Israel. And they whisk away all the noble, wealthy families, the landowners, the people with the property. They take them away as slaves and then they send their own people to go and take over the property, like recolonization. And they leave, of course, the kind of the low class waifs and strays of the Jewish people, the people that were already a bit iffy, uh, are left there. And then, of course, the main Jewish people are gone for a long time. These, these guys that are left start to intermarry, intermingle, uh, and there's this passage in scripture where they, they, they're having a problem with food and they've got a famine and they're like, oh no, maybe we should worship this Israeli God as well a bit better, let's build a temple. And they, they sort of get a Jewish teacher to come and show them uh, the first five books of the Bible. They've got the Torah, uh, the, the first five books, Moses book one to five. They've got that, the other books, they're not really that bothered about. Um, and they start to kind of amalgamate, to mix, to infuse all the different pagan religions they had to begin with, with this Jewish stuff that they've adopted, and they become the Samaritan people. The Jews come back after a period of time and rebuild Jerusalem, and, and they rediscover uh, their faith, they, they rededicate their lives um, to, to God and, and build a temple uh, out and start worshipping again in the temple. Uh, and now all of a sudden there's this kind of weird half-breed mix uh, called Samaritans and they do um, well I guess it's awful they just completely shun them and reject them we're not going to have anything to do with them they are unclean in fact for a Jew Samaritans were far worse than Gentiles non-Jews because it's not their fault that they're non-Jews they're, they're Gentiles that's like their thing but these guys are like mixing it and that was kind of really distasteful um, so she's a Samaritan, um, the worst of the worst. In fact, um, we read that in the text when she says, uh, why do you, a Jew, uh, speak to me? And then John gives this little anecdote because Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. That word, that phrase, have no dealings, in the Greek literally means they don't use the utensils. They don't share utensils. Um, that's like the word for that. It's one word. I think that's fascinating that they had a word for sharing utensils, basically so they could say, don't do it with these guys. And, and right off the bat, it's amazing because the first thing Jesus does is, can I get a drink? Can I get your cup? Can I, can I share this utensil? Can I have a drink of water? So the racial prejudice, uh, this kind of moralistic uh, religious prejudice Jesus breaks straight through that to come and meet with this woman uh, another thing to notice is she's a woman and this is a big deal um, rabbis at the time didn't speak to women publicly uh, in fact apparently the, the holiest rabbis wouldn't even speak to their wives publicly it was, it was frowned upon you could speak to her at home but not outside um, so this is a big deal uh, that he's even talking to her the commentators think this is possibly why he sends his disciples into town to get food. He knows he's going to have this conversation uh, and they're not going to be able to deal with it. In fact, we read that if you go down to verse 27, um, you see that they come back and they're gobsmacked. It, it says they didn't know what no one said anything because they saw Jesus was talking to not a Samaritan, but a woman. 
that was the big burden for them. Um, and so that's, you know, amazing as well. And it's not just that he has this encounter and he talks to her. This woman goes on to be uh, the first female uh, evangelist. Josh pointed this out to me. And it is amazing. Um, we read at the end of the story, spoilers, um, but she's, her life is changed by this encounter with Jesus. She runs into town to tell everyone what he said. And she brings them back. And they spend two days with Jesus. Uh, and they, at the end of it, what do they say? They say, we now know that this guy is the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah, who's come to save the world. There's a pattern here in John. When uh, Jesus was talking to Nicodemus, he said, "For God, Jesus says, for God so loved the world. He didn't say, for God so loves the Jews. He said, for God so loves the world. And now here, in this next encounter, they're coming back and they're saying, we know that he has come as a saviour of the world, not the saviour of the Samaritan people either. So this is big. This is, this is the gospel going from small Jerusalem Judaism to the next group of people, the Samaritans. And uh, potentially we'll see where that goes next. But there's already an outworking. The gospel isn't confined to one people group. Um, so she is the first female evangelist and she instigates. She's the uh, catalyst. She's the, the first person to come and, 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 and bring the gospel to other people. And it creates revival in Samaria. Um, it, it's, it's big. You know, when the Jews wouldn't share a cup, now revival is uh, there because of this woman's testimony. And we find that actually uh, in the Bible lots of times is encouragement. It's, it's women who are the first people to attest to uh, the, the resurrected Jesus. And this is big. Their, their opinion, their, their testimony meant absolutely nothing in those days. For that to be included in the Bible shows uh, to us that, uh, well... It's big. I can't, I don't want to, I've got, I've got too much to say to, yeah, it's definitely a sermon for another time. Um, the next thing and the final thing we notice is that she was an outcast amongst outcast. Um, John, again, he doesn't, he puts these details in uh, that you can read over at a glance and think, okay, it was midday. It was uh, the sixth hour. Thanks for the, for the input. This is obviously just a, you know, it's, John wants us to know that this really happened, so he gives us the details. But the details also carry meaning and weight. See, the sixth hour was midday, and that's not normally when you go to draw water. In fact, if you live in a hot, arid, dry country like that, you go to get your water at the beginning of the day when it's, when it's cold, when it's cool, or, or maybe perhaps at the end of the day and when the sun's setting. Uh, you don't go at midday. So there's a reason here. There's something's going on. Why is she there in the heat of the midday sun? Because she's avoiding the people who would ordinarily be there at the regular time to go. She's already, uh, we already see at the very beginning that there's some sort of problem, connection, relational issue between her and the people that she is from, her community. Um, we learn um, the probable cause of that. Uh, I think it's implied when Jesus says, uh, go get your husband. And she says, oh, you know, I, I don't have one. And she, he, he instantly identifies, you're right. 
you've had you've had five and the guy you live with now uh he's not your husband um in that to us maybe in the context that we live in is obviously not a big deal uh in that context uh, the adultery connected to that was a death penalty um so there's i wonder whether there was secrecy there but there's definitely shame and guilt there's definitely a feeling in her heart uh, of 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 burden of that and we see that because she's there at midday avoiding the gossip avoiding the taunts perhaps avoiding the the glances um of the people that she lives with so she's an outcast she's an outsider um she's morally um kind of uh unclean as it were within her own community and yet here is jesus coming and saying can i share a drink with you can you help me can you get me a a drink um it's a really tender encounter for us um this is this what this came out in worship there's no there's no low we can sink to that jesus doesn't come to and meet us there at that point like nicodemus opposite to nicodemus you can't you can't be so good as to not need jesus you need to be born again he says to nicodemus to nicodemus he says you need to be born again you you know every from the top to the bottom we all need Jesus, but also from the top to the bottom, we can all encounter Jesus. There's nothing holding Jesus back. There's no barrier that we can put up between ourselves that will stop Jesus coming and meeting us. So let's read a little bit of this encounter. Uh, Jesus offers her living water. If we read verses at 10 to 15 um, in your Bibles, you can have a, a little look. You can pop it up if you don't have a Bible. It'll come up on the screen shortly. So, uh, he asked for a drink. She's like looking at him, thinking, "You don't, you don't speak to me. We've got all these barriers, all these problems. And um, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink of me?" And Jesus says, verse ten: "If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you." living water the woman said to him sir you've got nothing to draw water with and the well is deep where do you get that living water are you greater than our father jacob he gave us the well and drank from it himself and as did his sons and livestock jesus says to her everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again but whoever drinks of the water that i will give him will never be thirsty again the water that i will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life the woman said to him sir give me this water so that i will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water probably good to say this water is is clearly not like other water jesus is saying okay that water you drink you got to come here you got to get it but it will, you'll be thirsty again. The water that I'm giving you uh, not only lasts forever, it's eternal water, it's got an eternal element to it, but also it comes up from within you. So wherever you are, you get this water. So you don't need to come back to the well. She's confused because she's thinking, whoa, magic water, that means I don't have to come back here and get... She, you know, she thinks it's kind of 
more like real water. I guess you guys, are, I, every time I do think, talk about this, I get real thirsty. <laughs> I apologize, friends. Um, I'm going to be thirsty again. So it's not like real water, perhaps. <laughs> um, she, I think that it's not really the thirst-quenching um, magic water that she wants. And I think she betrays it when she says, so give me this water so I'll not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. She's thinking this is a way out of my situation. I have to come here in the heat of the day to avoid everyone's glances. It's arduous, it's a constant reminder of my position in this society, in this community I'm in. It's a constant reminder of the hurt and the pain that I've received. We don't know her situation, or we're guessing uh, to some extent, like the specifics, but she really wants to get out of this situation of coming to the well at midday. So if I can have this magic water, I don't have to come here again. I don't have to be reminded. I don't have to worry about someone else being here who's going to look down at me or treat me uh, like trash. But Jesus um, is offering something different to what she expects. What he's offering comes from within, uh, not from without. What he's offering, only he can give it. Uh, and it creates eternal life. It's very similar to how Jesus describes uh, being born again. It's very similar to how he describes the bread of life. It's, it, we're seeing now John is kind of using, or Jesus is using different pictures for a very similar experience, a very <coughs> similar thing. We would call it becoming Christian or, or meeting Jesus or uh, being born again. It's the same language. It's the same thing going on. But she obviously doesn't quite get that. Uh, but he's got her attention, and then he drops this absolute bomb on her. Go get your husband. Why does he do this? It's like, why bring it up? It's clearly the problem that she's got. It's clearly this uh, area of pain in her life. Why does Jesus bring it up? All these hurts, these pains, the mistake, this sin in her life. Well, it all comes back to worship. That's why I started with worship. It all comes back to worship it's why they go on to have this discussion with worship you see she's trying to find fulfillment she's trying to find satisfaction in her relationships she's she's possibly i guess working her way through relationships or uh, being rejected in relationships we don't know but it's clear that there's a sustenance there's a, a fulfillment that she's trying to get from that and it's had some really painful consequences some really unfortunate outcome and Jesus is saying, unless you're worshipping me, unless, you're, unless I'm the centre of your life, unless you're trying to get your spiritual thirst quenched through me and not through these other things, unless you see that the solution must come from inside, changing your heart and not just be a quick fix, then whatever you worship will abandon you in the end. You see, uh, they go on to have this discussion about worship, and um, she, she thinks that, you know, Jesus says, go get your husband, uh, and she says, oh, I don't have one, and he says, well, that's right, you've had five, and this guy's not your husband. She does what I think any of us would do, and changes the subject. Ooh, I see you're a prophet. Well, 
what do you think about worshipping at this temple or that temple? She pulls out this controversial political, you know, topic. It would be like uh, me going, so what do you think about Donald Trump's latest treats, tweets or something? You know, pulling something that I think, oh, I'm going to get, because it's awkward, you know. We don't like to talk about our feelings, our hurts, our pains. It's, it's hard. It's awkward. It's messy. So she does exactly what we would do. She changes the subject. But amazingly, it's not a subject change for Jesus. It's exactly where he wants the conversation to go. Ah, worship. Well, let me tell you this about worship, he says. You see, the time is coming. In fact, it's now here. What he means is, I'm here. The time has come in. In fact, no, I'm here. When you won't worship on that mountain or this mountain. It's not about the location of the worshippers' feet, but about the orientation of their heart. It's not about where you do it or even what you do to worship. It's not about how you worship necessarily. It's about who you worship. Jesus is saying, focus, I'm here now. You see, uh, worship, he says, um, so God is seeking worshippers who worship in spirit and in truth. Uh, it's, it's not a change of subject at all uh, for her. What Jesus is saying here is that there's a, a spiritual reality as we see the truth about who Jesus is. I think um, it's kind of a bit of an aside for us um, when it comes to worshipping and worshipping in spirit and truth and what that means. Um, it's why we're doing this sermon series called Real Jesus, because we know that when we actually know truth about who he is, it causes our hearts to worship. It will satisfy our hearts. And that satisfaction, that, that living water that quenches our thirst, wells up, swells up into worship. There was a quote um, that I thought was really helpful um, on this topic. It's at the beginning of this book by Andrew Wilson. He's going to be speaking at Devoted. So if you come to Devoted, you'll hear this guy speak. Uh, it's a fantastic book. And the quote at the beginning is the foreword by Tim Hughes, who's a worship leader. We sing a lot of his songs. Um, and he, he says this about, uh, this book is about God. And all it is, is about what God is like. And it's small little devotional points, each one a little facet on the on the beautiful jewel of knowledge of truth about who God is. But it's directly connected to worship, as Tim says. When we encounter God, uncreated, all-powerful, self-existent maker of all things, uncontained, unbreakable, unfathomable, and infinite, we find perspective. We learn to embrace the smallness of who we are and marvel in the vastness of who he is. Earthly pleasures can no longer take the place of knowing God and being known by him. We begin on a journey thirsting for more of God, desperate to understand more clearly the character and nature of God. When we encounter the reality of God, true worship is the outcome. See, Jesus is saying... This old stuff you've been going to, this relationship, these marriages, this, uh, this sin that you, you're living in, and all that you've been looking for, it's not leaving you satisfied, is it? It's not filling, fulfilling your needs. It's not reaching you where you really need to be met. But if you look to me, 
if you come to me, the living God, incomparable, unfathomable, mm-hmm. I will meet your needs. I will quench your thirst. Uh, that when Jesus is using this water language, he's quoting a lot of different Old Testament texts, and one of them is Jeremiah 2, verse 13. Let me read this uh, and see how it connects with the whole picture. Jeremiah uh, says this, this is from God's perspective. For my people have committed two evils. They've forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, or, or water vessels, containers of water, but they're broken and they don't hold any water. See, God is basically saying there's only one place to get living water. It's in me. The fountain of living waters. And Jesus comes in, steps in, says, hey, I'm here. So what should we do? What can we do? What can this woman do? Um, and, and she does it, by the way. Again, another lovely detail that John says. She says, when the disciples come back, verse 27, I think it is, um, she, they, they come back, they see this awkward conversation that's going on. They don't say anything. They're like, um, Jesus is talking to a woman. What do we do? Shh, don't say anything. She goes back to the town. And John mentions, he makes point to mention she leaves the water jar behind. She leaves her bucket. I mean, obviously she's absent-minded. She's got too much else to think about. But the point that John's making is she, she doesn't need it anymore. Yes, she does in a, in a real sense, because she's still going to need to drink water. I'm still like, but do you know what I mean? In the spiritual reality, the spiritual sense, in the, in, in the new sense of her life's been changed, now she doesn't need that water vessel anymore. So John wants to make sure that we're clear. In that conversation, she's seen, hang on, we don't worship there, we don't worship here, but now I'm going to worship in spirit and truth. I'm going to see the truth. Then she says, oh, we know that the Messiah is coming, and Jesus does it. He says, that's me. That is, that's who I am. This is his first disclosure. To, you know, he didn't say to Nicodemus, like, I'm, I'm the Messiah. He doesn't say that there. His first disclosure to this woman, she sees him for who he really is, and in that moment, her life has changed. In that encounter, her life has changed. Um, what can we do then? Another verse that in, later on in John, Jesus picks up this whole thing again. Chapter 7. This time, uh, Jesus says this in front of the Jews on the big feast day. In chapter 7, he says this. Standing up on the last day of the feast, Jesus cried out aloud. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So today, Jesus says, come and drink. John goes on to explain in the next verse, now this he said about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So, I don't know where everyone's at. Um, If you're seeking an encounter with Jesus today, perhaps for the first time or the hundredth time, it's kind of the same deal for all of us. We've got to recognize the parts of our lives that we've looked to for sustenance, where we go to to quench our thirst. 
when we all do it, we have these moments, these places, and then we might kind of look away to Jesus and like, yeah, no, I'm gonna, and then something happens and we have a doubt, we have a knock, we hear a lie, we hear a whisper. We go back to these old cisterns, these old water vessels that we carved for ourselves, these old things we used to worship. We do that. So so there's not, it's not really a one-time fix it's, it's a continual battle. It's a continual decision to look to Jesus, the real Jesus, and say, no, it's in you I want to be fulfilled. It's in you I get spiritual life. It's in you my thirst is quenched. And so we have to ask. We, we've learned that this is the Holy Spirit who fills our life and dwells us. We're born again in spirit. We're, we're filled again in the spirit as we become believers for the first time we have that first infilling and then afterwards that's uh, just a continual process of continuing to come back so uh, my encouragement we're actually going to sing a song so I guess I'll ask the band to come up um, and I believe we're going to be singing Consuming Fire great this is a song um, again lots of metaphor and language but the crux of the song is God I I need you to fill me again Lord I want to be my thirst to be quenched in you. I want my life to be motivated by, by who you are. Um, and my encouragement is this, this is not out of reach of anyone. This woman didn't wake up in the morning and say, I really hope I meet the Messiah today and get my life changed. She woke up in the morning and thought, I wish I could get water now, but I, I, can't, I can't do that. I've got to go later. She trudged all the way in the blazing heat. So wherever we're at, at any point, Jesus will come and meet us. And my, he's here today. He wants to meet with us today. This encounter is for everyone right now. So we're going to worship. We're going to sing a song. And my, my hope is that as you sing it, um, you encounter Jesus. Um, if you want to pray with someone, then maybe turn to someone and ask, or else we'll be around. And small group leaders can pray for people as well, maybe, but... Um, you know, maybe don't leave here without, um, if it's on your heart to, to pray with someone, don't, don't leave without doing that. Cool.